Hello, this is Melissa, and we're here with the first edition of Pedal Love here on KPFK's Bike Talk. And I'm in studio tonight with Charlie Gandy, the vice chair of the California Bicycle Coalition, and with Nick, who is the co-founder of Bike Talk and uh, our co-host for this evening. And we've also got Maria Sippen. Maria, you want to say hello? Hey, everyone. With uh, So give us a little explanation of who you are, Maria, and why you're here tonight. All right. Well, in short, I'm a healthcare professional who stumbled upon bike advocacy through my interest in transportation and public health. Now, years later, because I've been tweeting a whole lot and having conversations with so many influencers out there, I somehow became a bike safety instructor. Yes, we met on Twitter, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and that's kind of where all of my advocacy work has emerged from. I've just volunteered a whole lot, tweeted a whole lot, and now I'm still here. Exactly. And you are a league certified instructor. Yes. And a you. great blogger for us with your license to ride blog at pedallove.org. And we've also got Daniela Alcido in the in the house with us tonight. Hi. And these two young ladies are going to be carrying forward in the future tonight and also uh, once a month on the hashtag Women Talk Bikes, which we're really excited about. This will be the second Women Talk Bike show. So, Danielle, tell us about you. Um, hi. Yeah, I'm. I put together the women the hashtag Women Talk Bikes show, and I'm glad that it's now going to have a half an hour monthly segment on this show with Pedal Love. Uh, I am a cycling advocate. I mostly um, I interned with the Los Angeles County Bicycle Coalition, and I'm the chair of the Pomona Valley Bicycle Coalition chapter. Uh, all Bravo. the way, all the way in the Pomona Valley area. Thank you. We're and so excited <laughs> to have the East Valley here tonight. East Thank Valley you. here. Yep. Exactly. So. <laughs> and you'll get to know more about me uh, later on in our segment. We can't wait to hear from you guys <laughs> later tonight. Yes. So we'll say goodbye to you for now. But Jan- I want to introduce Janet Lafleur, who's with us tonight from One Woman Mini Bikes. Calling from Mountain View, California, so we've got the North represented as well. Are you with us, Janet? Are you still there? Silicon Valley. Yeah, there you are. So, Janet, tell us a little bit, uh, give us a little introduction to you. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm an average tech worker here in Silicon Valley. I've been in the Valley for a number of years, and I've been a recreational rider, both on the road and mountain biking, um, for many years. And then a few years ago, I decided to be an everyday bike commuter. And um, I realized that it was kind of silly for me to change clothes because it was only five miles. And basically, it would really transform the way I looked at bicycling. So now I, I ride everywhere, and I ride in my work clothes, which being a professional, I, I, I'm also a girly girl. I like dresses. So um, that was a big deal to go from the white clothes to being comfortable wearing dresses and then eventually heels on the bike. So um, I started blogging about my experiences so that other people could see um, – yeah, that it really is possible, and it's really going from there. Great. So we're gonna, um, I, Charlie, we didn't have you give a little introduction of yourself, and then we're going to jump back into the conversation with Janet. Okay. Yeah. I'm Charlie Gandy. I uh, have a company called Livable Communities Consulting, and that has been my vehicle for being a professional bike advocate since 1990. And so uh, I live in California now, but I used to live in Austin, Texas, and I did my share of keeping Austin weird, and I've been in Long Beach, um, part of a high-performance team that has, uh, that's in the process of transforming Long Beach into a great bike city, and so I'm also on the board of uh, 
California Bicycle Coalition, and I'm looking forward to that conversation tonight as well about what's going on at the state level and I think we've got a special guest from Sacramento that's going to be giving us some insights from there this evening. Exactly. So one of the things that we want to touch base on here, and Janet, this will tie into the conversation you and I are going to have, is that um, Pedal Love, uh, Calif- uh, Women on Bikes California, it has organized a new campaign called Active Living Plugged In, and it's a training campaign which is focusing on um, communications, new media, and leadership. And, I, Charlie, I want you to tell us a little bit about how this came about because we were inspired by your trainings. You're going to be a part of this training. Yes, and I'm very enthused about this because I've seen the power of people coming together and uh, working on behalf of the and creating what we call a bicycle movement in this country. And so this Active Living Plugged In is about training people to feel comfortable standing up and voicing their opinion about things that matter to them. So we're going to be teaching them about uh, expressing themselves effectively and persuasively. We're going to be teaching about social media skills. And then we're going to be showing them how this campaign, what we have with CalBike, is an effort to triple the number of bicyclists in California between now and 2020. And to do that, we're going to be training 500 people in California, mostly women. Over the next three years. Over the next three years. To become spokespeople, and so we have uh, coming up uh, mid March, uh, May uh, March, excuse me, fifteenth and sixteenth, we're doing the first training, and it's in collaboration with Bicycle Communities out of Long Beach and the Los Angeles County Bicycle Coalition. It will be an intense day and a half training downtown L.A. with you and I, Alan Crawford, the executive director of Bicycle Communities, Maria Sippen, Daniela is going to be there, um, and Kelly Morris. Uh, that's with us at uh, at Pedal Love, and a great team of people. We've got about 19 spots that are still available for that training. If you would like to join us, people, please go to pedallove.org, and you will find all of the information. But it's going to be very hands-on, very collaborative, and we're looking to create the next spokespeople and ambassadors for active living in California and really help you find your voice, hone your voice, and we're going to go into also a lot of media strategy. And with that, we're going to start talking to... Janet, who had a great adventure this weekend with the San Francisco Chronicle. Are you there with us, Janet? Yes, I'm here. So I want you to tell us about this great adventure, because I was on Twitter following, we follow each other on Twitter, obviously, and you do this great thing where you post a picture and you say, where is my bike? And then you tell about an adventure, you do great uh, Friday night bike dates with your husband, and so I see that you're in a photo studio, and I'm going to bat it over to you to tell us what happened next. Yes. Um, the San Francisco Chronicle, which is the, the newspaper in San Francisco, um, put out a call for um, show us your bike style. And um, they asked people to come down to their studio with their bikes. They left it really open-ended and um, have your photo taken. And I'm like, okay, well, I had something going on, but then that got canceled. So I'm like, okay, I'll go up there. So I um, grabbed one of my favorite bikes and put on a an outfit I liked and headed up there. And um, I followed a woman who was having her picture taken with her violin. She rode up there with her violin on her back. Fabulous. And, um, <laughs> the guy after me was kind of a mountain bike trials guy. Those are the kind of people who do tricks where they hop off the rocks. And um, so it was a really diverse crowd. And um, it's supposed to come out this weekend. 
So I'm looking to see if I made the cut. They're going to do it um, both, I think, in print as well as our SF Gate, which is their online version. And I really love this project because it's actually something we did here in um, the Silicon Valley Bicycle Coalition last year where we encouraged people coming to our bike workday after party. I love that idea. Instead of trying to get everybody up at the crack of dawn, well dressed on bikes, giving them a party. Yeah. Well, this yeah, this is amazing, and we took their photos and did um, you know, made the portraits available after, and it was just really cool to see how everybody had their own kind of way of bicycling, and you can tell the love they had for their bike being having their picture taken with them. So part of the thing that we're going to be doing with Active Living Plugged In is putting together the first like official media strategy for the state of California to grow to mainstream bicycling because uh, with Pedal Love and Women on Bikes California, that's our role or that's one of the things we're taking on for the California Bicycle Coalition is really getting the word out in inviting ways to get more people to ride their bikes, to get on their bikes again. And... Um, Tell us a little bit about your blog that you've got. No, no, you've got your own blog, and then what happened with that blog? You had a surprise happen. Somebody invited you to write for another paper. Um, yeah. Basically, I started One Woman Mini Bicycles. It's my personal story because I have many bicycles, like I said, from road to mountain bike to my commuter and then my beautiful bikes. Um, and it was me writing for my friends, mostly on Facebook. And um, then, you know, of course, the way it works on the web is people from Australia start contacting you. And it just got bigger and bigger. And I re- at first, I was wondering if there would be an audience for this diverse set of bicycling. I thought people tended to be more siloed in their interests, um, but there was. And um, so I, through that, it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And um, through the local newspaper, people that I knew, um, they asked me to also write for the Mountain View Voice, which is our local newspaper, a blog called Bike Fun. So I've been and doing that. Um, but, but just everything just keeps growing. Like you were talking about, where is my bike today? I, I love to keep it fresh. And um, but underneath it all is a really strong advocacy message that most people probably don't catch. But when I do, where is my bike today? The purpose is to show that yes, you can go all kinds of interesting places. If you only ride your bike, you're not just limited to your little neighborhood. You can go all over. And um, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, my husband's involved now. We do bike fashion. Um, shoots on Fridays, and it's often him, and I love having him. He's kind of a ham. He's a great partner in it, and he's a great sport. And I love the dates that you go on. I like to live vicariously through you. (laughs) See all the fun that you're having. And the the delicious food. Yeah, we call it Bike Date Friday. But basically, he wasn't, his um, day off used to be Friday, and I worked on Friday. And so I said, well, why don't you come down to my office, and we'll go out on a date. And since I was riding my bike, it meant he had to ride his bike. And my office wasn't that far, a few miles away from a really great destination for restaurants. Um, And so then we just started playing with it. And we said, okay, well, the rule is we have to go to a different place every single week, so no repeats. And um, we've been doing it three years. So I'm going to actually, because you have a background in marketing, I want to pull Charlie into this a little bit, because we want to talk about, with the California Bicycle Coalition and our role at Pedal Love, about normalizing bicycling and how we really need to start looking to marketing and style and fashion and how they are using the bike as this uh, lifestyle. So what I say to people is that we need to move the conversation because the bike is hot right now in fashion and what, and, and it's hot in you know, all of the uh, health magazines. But you're just seeing the little clip out of like the Shinola bike, the Martone bike, the Linus bike, the Electra bike as the must-have. And, of course, it's always the most expensive bike, right, and the must-have item in the beginning. And now we need to move it to editorial, which is the engaging personal stories for the must-ride for the many, the people that have 
uh, overcome diabetes perhaps or living safely with diabetes or have kept from becoming diabetes and stayed pre-diabetic or have lost weight or like yourself have just learned how to commute and you can go on those great dates and eat the cake because you're, you're riding every day. So, Charlie, I just want to have you jump in a little bit on historically. What do, you, how, what do you feel about what's going on with bicycling right now? Cause well, what's cool is that the conversation is expanding beyond uh, uh, old white guys with beards riding touring bikes. And um, because of the we're expanding the conversation, elected officials are starting to relate to bicyclists different than they have in the past. They're starting to see people who look like them ride bikes versus somebody else. And because of that, uh, it's affecting their policy making. And so I'm, I'm real enthused about it. We had a, we had a uh, mayoral forum last night in Long Beach where all the major uh, mayor candidates showed up. They all were competing for our attention and for our votes. And uh, we have a lot of good choices. Right, all in a conversation very specific of livability, which really hasn't happened in very other many other cities, but it's yeah. starting to happen more and more. Well, and to close on that, then yes, it's it's we've gone beyond the lycra crowd to and away frankly away from the sport and more towards the lifestyle of riding. And that's that's a that's a much bigger crowd of people we call bicyclists and uh, uh, policymakers can relate to them more so than they can the, the, the racer types. And so we're finding that we're getting more traction politically when we talk about this as uh, uh, riding a neighbor in, in neighborhoods for local shopping and uh, using it to, to get to and from work as opposed to going out and hammering uh, 40 miles before We're going out and having some fun with your children and uh, yeah, as Martha that. Roskowski says taking the children out to yogurt right all that the adventure so Nick I actually want to ask you a question because you've been doing bike talk now since I believe 2009 so you've probably observed quite a bit of change since then um, what are your thoughts about uh, the bike movement and, and actually how the bike is really becoming a media darling now and we're hoping to make it even more so um, well, all I know is that there's never any shortage of material, you know, that, that every week there's always something to talk about, and it's never a problem. It's everybody's got something to say. Yeah. Great. Great. So, Janet, you, as a marketing person, um, you come up with some really great language that you use on your blog, and when you did a presentation with us at the California by Bike uh, Summit uh, in Oakland last year, and it's this great way, I think, that's inviting to new people to get them to ride bikes and also the way you talk to friends who are also uh, sport bicyclists like you've been to get them to kind of put their head in a new place to also consider using bikes for errands and fun. Will you talk about that a little bit? Well, like I said, everything, underneath it all there was advocacy, but it was always done in a very careful, measured way. It was more about, you know, things I do and you don't tell people how to do it and you show them. Exactly. And so, you know, everything, like I said, from the where's my bike, it shows them where I can go. Um, when I talk about the date, I mean, sometimes it's like it takes a while for it to sink in that, wow, she does this every, they do this every week throughout the year. That means even in the cold. Yes. Even when it's dark. Um, and if they go to a different place every week for three years, well, geez, they're not really limited because they're on a bike. And we also have a train that helps <laughs> with our bikes. Of course. But, you know, it, it, it's an indirect way and engage using storytelling. Right. Um, 
to send the message rather than, you know, you know, lecturing, obviously. Well, and that's really, that's what we'll be, we're going to be doing with Active Living Plugged In, which we're bringing to Silicon Valley and we'll have you as a part of, is teaching people to tell those personally engaging stories because we all have them and that the personal is universal and that's what's going to inspire somebody else to give it a chance. So, uh, Charlie, I think we need to now, because we started a little bit late today, I want to see how we are on time. I think that, Janet, we're going to wrap up with you and look forward to seeing uh, talking with you on one of our next upcoming episodes. And we encourage everybody to look you up on Pedal Love, where you have a one-woman mini-bikes blog, and also on your own blog. So give us the, make sure that you tell us the right address for that. Yeah, it's Lady Fleur, L-A-D-Y-F-L-E-U-R. But if you Google One Woman Many Bicycles, it'll come up. Exactly. So thank you so much. And um, everybody follow her on Twitter at, at Lady Fleur. And take a look at her blog. And uh, send us questions for the upcoming bike style uh, or Stylish by Bike segments. Janet, we'll talk to you very soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, Charlie, we're going to move it over to talk about some state uh, advocacy and at regional advocacy and kind of give us a give us a, an update on the exciting things that are going on for the California Bicycle Coalition. Okay. Well, um, let me start with the overview of what that is. We, The California Bicycle Coalition, or also known as CalBike, is the voice of bicycling in California. Uh, we've got several thousand members. We've got uh, partnerships with local coalitions such as L.A. County Bicycle Coalition, uh, and we really have are, are in the in the business of developing the voice of bicycling, so that we can create more funding for bike facilities, so that we can create campaigns to encourage people to ride bikes, so that we can train transit operators and police officers how to effectively deal with uh, uh, bicyclists uh, uh, with the same sort of respect that they give to motorists and so forth. And so we're, we're really in this campaign, and, and it's part of a bigger movement of, on the national level to incorporate bicycling into our day-to-day lives and to make this a mainstream activity. So California Bike Coalition goes about doing that with um, uh, activities at, in Sacramento. We just passed a three-foot passing bill a, about a year ago, and that will become a – it is the law of the land now uh, requiring – a, uh, a motorist to give us a fair shake when they're going around us and recognizing that we're very vulnerable road users at that very moment and to um, recognize that and give us a space. We'll be, California Bike Coalition will be a part of a promotional campaign with Caltrans in the next couple of years uh, teaching motorists that there's a new law here and, right. and promoting that. So, and so one of the other things I want to that I realized that I did not do a good job of setting up in the few, in the beginning is that Pedal Love is the website. It's the communications platform, the storytelling platform for women on bikes, California. We are an initiative of the California Bicycle Coalition, right. and very proud to be a part of that. And we started as Women on Bikes SoCal, and realized that we really did want to have a statewide platform. We're growing. We have about 10 bloggers that write for us across the state now. We're very excited about it. But we do want to encourage people from areas all across the state that if you have storytelling that you would like to share with us on Pedal Love, we'd love to hear from you. So you can well, write, you're, you're looking to recruit yeah, stories, Yeah, absolutely. You? We want to 
like I said, the personal is universal. We want 360 degrees of storytelling about bicycling across the state. So please write to me. And you're in, and you're in the business of recruiting 500 people, right? I'm in a talent scout. Right. That's really my job. We're right. talent scouts. And so what what we're doing with uh, blogging uh, is that we want to tell all kinds of different stories. We have uh, Maria writing License to, uh, License to Ride. We've got all kinds of different uh, blogs. I write Mindfulness in the Bike, which I'll be talking uh, to Nick about uh, a little bit later. And You know, this is brand new. The, it is brand new. The, I think. I mean, there are wonderful women bike blogs across the country, but I think coming together to have so many people, and it's not just women telling their stories, I don't think anybody else is doing that. And I think California is forward-thinking, and we're trendsetters. We have Hollywood. We have technology. All that's very excited and interested in bikes. Facebook and Google, very bike-friendly. Yeah, California is ahead of other uh, states in recognizing the value of active living overall. Exactly, and we always have. And so there's, uh, unlike other states, where where uh, government agencies and elected officials actively discourage people from riding bikes or carrying on active, le- ha- active healthy lifestyles, in California, we generally speaking, uh, there there are plenty of exceptions to this, but there are bellwether and bandwagon cities, cities that recognize that bicycling is a symbol of quality of life. When people see people out riding bikes, they recognize that that's a uh, uh, that's a healthy, positive thing. And the more we see that, the, oh, the, the very the, exciting things happening in San Diego. You'll be working with Chula Vista in the future. Oh, there's yeah. The, I mean, it's San Luis uh, Obispo has a has a remarkable bike culture that's growing all over the state. I mean, you know what's really cool? San Francisco is, is way ahead thing. of a, a lot of us, and we need to catch up. But it's an inspiration. We'll, we'll get to the mechanics of this maybe when we talk to Jim Brown, but uh, a little bit more. But let me just tell you. In San Francisco, there are 10,000 members of the San Francisco Bicycle Coalition now, and they are active in every local and state campaign. Uh, In fact, according to Gavin Newsom, the former mayor of San Francisco, after the municipal labor unions and the gay vote, bicyclists are the most politically powerful interest group in San Francisco politics today. So and and that's because they are one organized and two they're focused right. and and they're all pulling in the same direction. Okay, so that brings up a great point that we didn't talk about. Do I we have? Yes. Wanted to say one thing is that we ha- had an interview uh, with uh, Garcetti, and he said Excellent. he said well this was when he was still a councilman and he said that uh, cyclists were the the best organized lobby after homeowners. Seriously, yeah. he said that yeah. during Here in his Los campaign. Angeles? No, not during his campaign. While he was a uh, councilman, just vi- okay. visiting us. Oh, well, that's very exciting. Well, and so and that 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 reflects what's going on here. That when you have organized uh, uh, voices, that can compete with organized money very effectively. And and it's it's great that that Eric said that. I get to in on uh, April the third in San Diego. I get to be on a panel discussion at a national conference for political consultants. These are This is the brain trust for candidates running both Democrat and Republican uh, nationwide. There will be about 400 of these political professionals, and I get to share a panel with Gavin Newsom and other political leaders in California talking about mm. this emerging interest group called Bicyclists and how candidates have an opportunity to uh, – move early and to capture that vote. And that that is an extraordinary place for us to be as a 
political group. So I want to jump in for our listeners because they are not going to get to be with you at that conference, but they can learn about uh, bicyclists, the all-powerful bicyclist, at pedalove.org. Pedal right. Look under Travels with Charlie. And I wrote a little blog yeah. called um, um, The All-Powerful Bike Lobby, and that's because about four months ago, a conservative reporter for the uh, – editorial writer for the Washington – uh, excuse me, the Wall Street Journal, uh, put up this notion of the all-powerful bike lobby as some kind of of uh, interest group that was going to uh, pry the hands off of people's steering wheels and require them to ride a bike versus drive. And so it's, it's a tongue-in-cheek response to that. You know, uh, uh, compared to the highway lobby, bicyclists are humble and small game. Uh, but we really want to – part of this – conversation we're having tonight is that we want to move beyond the bike versus car. Well, all I'm saying right. is that that we are doing that. Particularly because most people that ride bikes also own cars. In urban areas, bicycling is emerging as a important political group to be dealt with. That's really what we know. So th- that brings up a couple uh, points that I want to chat with you about. One is that uh, a surprising uh, fabulous part of the population is the next power mongers, according to you, in the all-powerful bike lobby. And and who are those delightful people? You know them very well. They're sitting here in the room with you. Well, uh, if you're referring to the fairer gender... Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. The fact is that, yeah, the the other part of that all-powerful bike lobby story is that the emerging leaders in California are all women. Yes, women. We have more female executive directors of bicycle coalitions than any other state. At the state and local level, that's exactly right. We will have all of those women on this show. Well, eventually, right. Uh, And and the point here is that that's part of changing the conversation as well. When, When women are at the table... The perception of bicyclists is completely different than when old guys with beards are at the table, and that that is changing the conversation in California. So, and one of those women I wanted to give a, a shout out about is the head of the San Francisco Bicycle Coalition, which is Leah Sham, and she will be there on uh, at the conference at the political conference that you right. will be at. Right. And during her tenure. Uh, the San Francisco Bicycle Coalition rose from 2,500, 3,000 members to 10,000 members. Correct. And, be, and became yeah, the powerhouse it is today. Yes, it is. And and they're driving, the, so to speak, the agenda in, in San Francisco. And there's a, there's a transformation going on in that city. If you haven't been there lately, you ought to go. They've got a modest bike share program now. They've got, uh, uh, like we mentioned, uh, roughly 10,000 members of the San Francisco Bicycle Coalition engaged in the conversation driving that agenda and leah yeah she's the she's a superstar and i've had the the privilege of interviewing her for a print piece that will be coming out soon but we are looking forward to having her on this show but that also leads me uh, something we didn't delve into about your background as as a trainer and that is in the 90s you uh spearheaded uh pedestrian walk audits and and an innovative training program that went across the country uh, for the National Association for Biking and Walking. Yeah. It had a different name at that time, but it's now the National Association for Biking and Walking. Uh, They're together with Project for Public Spaces and host the Pro Walk, Pro Bike conference every two years. 
But you did this training, and through it, about 30 organizations were launched across the country, including the Los Angeles County Bi- the Los Angeles County Bicycle Coalition right. and the California Bicycle Coalition. And so that's why I wanted to partner with you for Active Living Plugged In, because we really want to take things to the next level. That training, you did the Thunderhead Alliance Retreats, and the Thunderhead uh, organization which became the Alliance for Biking and Walking, happened from that as well. So I want to have you talk a little bit about um, inspiring people to feel like they have the power to become the next leaders. Well, this is is ancient history, but it is uh, about 1994. Uh, Some foundations gave us some money to go about building the the grassroots advocacy voice for bicycling in the United States – and it was with the premise that, with the exception of funding coming out of Washington, the decisions that are made at the state and local level are the ones that impact the ability or not to ride a bicycle safely um, and, in fact, set up conditions where bicycling is the, is the smarter alternative to driving. And so knowing that and having some foundation money, I got to uh, barnstorm around the country doing trainings with bicycle organizations that already existed that wanted to become more political and in cases where we wanted to have stronger political organizations such as at the state level in California and one didn't exist uh, my job was to come in and help organize that and so using Saul Alinsky's rules for radicals and other uh, primers for effective political organizing I went about uh, training people to stand up for what they believed in and articulate that in a way that electeds could say yes to them. And uh, I'm a recovering politician. I, I, when I was in my 20s, which was in the 80s, I served in the Texas House of Representatives for a while, and I worked for the governor. And I learned that p- the political interest groups uh, that came together and brought solutions to the table versus problems were much more likely to be satisfied in their response from those elected officials. And so I coached people on how to bring solutions to elected. Show them what your problem is and then give them something to say yes to uh, as a political tactic because I can tell you from sitting on the other side of the table when people would bring me their problems, I could sympathize with them, but I didn't know how to fix their problems. I was not... A, I, I didn't know their problems better than they did. And we, but, we still need that today, but we need people that are really eloquent well, spokespeople and, 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 and if they bring the solution to the table and give me a chance to say yes to that, I'm much more likely to do that. So and as the city elected. councils across the state, across the country, are looking for those fresh ideas? Well, they're looking for bring, people to bring them solutions to their, to in this case, uh, transportation issues. Exactly. And so, yeah, they need us to solve our problems and to bring them solutions they can say yes to. I uh, Again, back to that key point, I, I want to be able to say, as a as a elected to a constituent, I want to satisfy them. I want to be able to say yes to their proposals. But if all they're doing is bringing me their problems, they're, both of us are likely to be dissatisfied. So that's why we're so excited about the Active Living Plugged In, which was the title, by the way, I'm, uh, Maria Sippen came up with that great title. Mm-hmm. The reason that we want to tie that with new media, of course, is because that's the way we communicate with so many people today. And then the reason we want to bring in the media strategy, the storytelling part of it, is that 
we see right now that the bike story is being written about in the press. It's being written about in the Los Angeles Times as it is in the roadshare uh, road column, which we were very excited that they did. But a lot of times the stories are stuck in traffic. And what I mean by that is it's the transportation writers, it's the traffic writers, and they feel that they have to make it news by making a very car versus bike. Well, that's, that is, that, that. that's where every city starts, and that's, right. where, that's where Los Angeles has been stuck for a long time. The good news is, you know, Robert Green of L.A. Times came down to L- to Long Beach with us, and we had a great time with him the other day. Uh, we, as you know, Melissa, um, the opening scenes to Gilligan's Island were filmed in Long Beach, right. and so the bike tour that we do is called the Three Hour Tour. And um, the good news is that we've had probably over the last three years at least fifty delegations of electeds and professionals and advocates coming to Long Beach and doing the tour. And seeing some of the innovative facilities that we've put down on the ground, riding them, experiencing them, and seeing a place, Long Beach looks a lot like Los Angeles and every other city in Southern California in terms of its its bones or its infrastructure. And so halfway through... The older the, cities, the ones that, the Santa Monica's, the Pasadena's, that have the, the, the streets that are on the grid that were for well, bicycles and horse carriages. And Los Angeles. And Los, well, parts of Los Angeles, yes. Right. And so uh, there's they, they can see where... Uh, they can see familiar places. But I want to bring that back to the media conversation because you've had a lot of luck with the media over the years, but it's not always luck. One of the things that you're very good at is storytelling and coming up with the sound bites that make sense to the media so that it's not so wonky. And that's one of the things we're going to be going over in Active Living Plugged In is that, um, and Nick, you're a great storyteller as somebody who's done acting. And so you know you've got to make it engaging. You've got to make it understandable for a broad audience. So we're going to be talking a lot about media strategy and pitching and all the different ways that we're working on media, which is you send the press release out, and sometimes you get the media to show up and you get some great stories. But more often you have to look long-term to create a relationship and rapport so that you can become someone that that media outlet, that reporter, that journalist calls on. And that's actually the place that you're very fortunate to be in. When you came to Long Beach, not too long after that, uh, uh, Long Beach got a great kind of side out for being in Bicycling Magazine. It entered mm-hmm. the race at the, 20, at the top 20, in the, at the number position 20. <clears throat> and normally 20 would not get a nice write-up. But because you were in town and Bicycling knew you to be an interesting person to talk about uh, talk about these things with. We, uh, Long Beach well, had a great little feature. You know, I, uh, as I mentioned, I got involved in this conversation uh, in Austin, Texas in 1990, and it was a small group of uh, revolutionaries that were working around the country then kind of on their own, doing the best they could to get their voice heard and small incremental improvements in uh, – in bike facilities and so forth. And, you know, that was happening in New York in a small way, Chicago, uh, uh, Texas. Uh, and then and then when we were looking at Davis, California, and Portland and Sacramento, or excuse me, uh, Seattle, as the bellwether cities, these early adopter cities, and looking to emulate that because we could see how they were differentiating themselves And young people were responding to that, and uh, businesses were responding to that. And that looked like a pretty smart economic development strategy. And that's very true today. With millennials uh, down on car ownership uh, across the country, about 20%, looking for experiences in life, not looking to be 
uh, owners as much as past generations have been? Well, yeah, if you, if you want to, we can run those statistics real fast. One, we have bike share coming on. We have car share coming on. We have uh, Across kids. Across the country. Yeah, but specifically in California. Right. All that's on the horizon. In California, we have uh, uh, kids between 16 and 25 years old. 20% fewer of them are getting driver's licenses now. Toyota did a, a survey of that crowd, and to their disappointment, discovered that by that that motor uh, that cars were old-fashioned to those young people. They were not trying; they were not aspiring to live in the suburbs and commute a, an hour each way anywhere. They they're not they're they're adopting a car light or car free lifestyle. They're moving to urban places that don't require automobiles, or when they do, they check one out of the car share fleet. And uh, and then check it back in, and so you know using AAA's numbers of, it's somewhere between six hundred and a thousand dollars a month depending on the type of car, to uh, the cost of operating a car in Southern California six hundred to a thousand dollars a month. What we what we learn is young people would much rather move to a place where they don't need a car at all and put that money into rent and lifestyle uh, uh, options versus driving. Right. So uh, I am uh, somebody who's a passionate student of, of what's going on with fashion and uh, read a lot of magazines still. I also keep up with a lot of blogs, and they're doing some great things. But we want to get stories with, uh, and we'll talk to Maria a little bit, uh, but so Maria's exactly, Maria Sippen is exactly that person who lives in downtown L.A. and uses her bike for errands, exercise, fun, mm-hmm. part of her commute. The rest she does by train. And so we've got a lot of people that are personifying that lifestyle, and we think, uh, like Refinery29 and some of these other great uh, blogs, fashion and lifestyle blogs that are focusing on the young that these stories need to get out because these are the stories that are going to inspire somebody else to say, I could do that too, and I could save that money. With that money, well, I could pay off that. my college loans. You've seen that, haven't you? you absolutely, should, yeah. absolutely. So that's what we're sort of talking about with the media strategy as, as I flip through this uh, current month of or March's uh, Vogue mm-hmm. that has, I showed you, a Shinola bikes out of Detroit. That's also the Shinola uh, watch line, really a media darling in just the past year. Four or five-page ad, uh, Banana Republic, the same, four or five-page ad, both of them with special paper, mm-hmm. bikes included in them. And so we, we're we looking at the bikes. The bikes are being used to sell everything uh, from green beans to Viagra. Mm-hmm. And now we need to get the stories about the people that are actually making extraordinary, ordinary people making extraordinarily positive changes to their lives by bike. And that, that's what you're going to learn about on this show. We've got different segments California by Bike with Charlie. We've got Stylish by Bike with myself, Janet LaFleur, and others. We'll have Mindfulness in the Bike with uh, Kelly Morris. Uh, coming. We'll talk, Nick and I, we're going to talk, delve into that a little bit tonight with Jim Brown, but in the future it will be Kelly Morris. And then, of course, lastly, we're going to wind up with Women Talk Bikes. But uh, we have Jim calling in in just a few minutes. But, Charlie, I wanted to uh, talk about a campaign that you did also in the 90s called uh, Bikes Belong. That was the original Bikes Belong campaign mm-hmm. because you did tours of editorial boards, and that's something that we're talking about, and that's part of the media strategy that I don't really think we've been doing in bicycling yet. I know that Carolyn Schapansky with the League of American Bicyclists Women Bike Program uh, and the summit they're having uh, coming up is doing a terrific job. I get to be on that marketing and media committee with her, but we're just at the beginning of the media conversation, and editorial boards are really a formal thing. You travel around and you 
you meet with the board and you educate them. So share with us a little bit about that. One of the tactics to get editor- to get editorials and therefore um, uh, newspaper support for this stuff is setting up an appointment and taking one, two, or three knowledgeable people in to have a conversation with an editorial board about your issues. And I've done this before related to funding for bikes and other campaigns. Um, and that's what we're going to be doing more of in California. The, a part of getting to tripling the number of bicyclists in California is an overall media strategy that um, – has the L.A. Times embracing this stuff more. Which they, they did a really great uh, piece today on the, on the My Figueroa project. That's right. The L.A. Times endorsed, in effect, the complete street strategy for Figueroa. Which we, and, and in general. It, it was really, uh, at the end, it wrapped up in a really great way. Yeah, and, and we, so that, that what that does is send a message to, um, first of all, everybody associated with that project that the L.A. Times has looked at this and believes that that's good public policy for Los Angeles overall and specifically in that location. Right. And from the from the from our point of view as as advocates, uh, if the L.A. Times was opposed to us on this stuff, it would probably stop us in our tracks. Right. But having their support gives us a boost. Uh, and our opponents, those that would say, you know, uh, uh, this bike stuff is not relevant to us. We we that it may work in Long Beach or Santa Monica or Pasadena or 500 other places, but it's not right for us. But with LA Times, they're saying, hey, everybody, it's it's right in a lot of places, and we need to start looking in that direction. So it gave us right. a big, oh. give us a big. Uh, a boon, so we're really appreciative of that. And so we want people to recognize that um, you really still do need to have a formal media strategy when you want to get the story out to the largest well, audience. Well, and so, and so, yeah, if I, I, I push back a little on formal media strategy, uh, we, you need to have relationships with people who write uh, every week about things that matter in your town. Well, it's always about relationships, and that's when we're, we're uh, in Active Living Plugged In, we're going to be talking about creating those relationships and that rapport. And we've got our caller on the line. Jim, are you there with us? I am. And and we're talking about some of the things that are close, near and dear to your heart. We're going to first have you talk about what's going on in Sacramento, but then we're going to have you talk a little bit about uh, what you and I are are, um, are scheming about with media for May is Bike Month. And then we're going to jump into a little bit of a conversation about mindfulness and biking. So, uh, Jim, uh Catch us up. What's going on in Sacramento? You are, you are the executive director of the Sacramento Area Bicycle Advocates. That's a role that you've had now for how long? Uh, about 14 months. About 14 months. And you guys have really exciting things going on there. Well, we have a lot of things going on there. Um, the local stuff that we're working on right now that's um, pretty interesting includes the development of a downtown NBA arena, uh, a Shopping center is being uh, uh, slated to become the site of a new NBA arena downtown, and we're working with the city and the developers on trying to um, uh, protect and improve bicycle access to this part of the city. And what's uh, curious about this particular project is that it was um, 
there were some provisions in uh, Senate Bill 743 by Daryl Steinberg, uh, the bill that last fall uh, removed level of service, um, in other words, the measure of traffic uh, speed and density um, as, a, as a factor to consider when you are putting uh, certain developments into a transit-oriented development zone. And this is a big deal for bicycling because it means that um, you don't have to consider the impacts on on traffic. Wow, that's huge. Yeah, it, it's huge. And and that bill also contained a couple of um, treats for the uh, Sacramento Kings concerning the arena project. And it uh, accelerated some of the uh, timelines for approval of uh, uh, environmental review and so forth. And the irony about this project is that um, you know, it, it was uh, the beneficiary of some legislation that uh, is going to make things easier for bicycling statewide, yet this particular project is none too bike-friendly. Right. So we have our work cut out for us to try to uh, help the city uh, recognize the opportunity to make this a much more bike-friendly uh, development. Um, some other projects that are happening in the city or in the region are an initiative to um, uh, seek bicycle-friendly business designation for a lot of businesses in the east part of the county in a suburban area that isn't enjoying the same kind of uh, bicycle boom that we're seeing in central city neighborhoods. And it's really exciting to be part of that project because um, folks outside of the central city are uh, really on fire about uh, making their neighborhoods and communities a lot more accessible by bicycles. Oh, that's fantastic. Wonderful initiative to see. Um, third project we're working on that's that's really interesting is in South Sacramento County, one of the 14 sites for the California Endowments uh, Building Healthy Communities Project, where they're directing all of their funding for 10 years on 14 sites in the in the state. Right, with Long Beach as one of them as well. Long Beach is one of them as well. And so we're going to be looking at bike access in a low-income uh, part of the city, uh, one of the first uh, suburban areas of the city, so it's a um, you know it's a part of the city that's not configured well for bicycling. Even though you have a large population that is increasingly dependent on bicycling as a mode of transportation, so we're we're um, we're working with neighborhood groups in that part of the city, and it uh, just feels like really good work to be able to uh, uh, to focus some attention on a part of the city that normally doesn't. Uh, it doesn't get this kind of attention when it comes to bicycling. So one of the things I want you to touch on briefly that I know you had a great success with uh, this past summer and fall that you probably got some things uh, starting up again in May is attracting a new crowd and a lot of women doing through doing fun events and rides that are shorter than than a lot of bike advocacy normally does. You did some some fun tours that I want you to talk about, beer tasting and food tastings that you told me about, and, and I think our listeners would be very excited to hear about how successful those were. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. The, um, the local uh, metropolitan planning organization, Sacramento Area Council of Governments, coordinates the uh, National Bike Month activities that happen in the region, and they have a region-wide campaign called Maya's Bike Month. And so um, just about this time last year, they came to us and, and asked if we would consider uh, organizing some events to get more people on bicycles and help kind of round out the the calendar of things that were happening, and so I was happy to um, to 
uh, put together some rides, and we had a number of different rides, uh, including a tour of public art in downtown Sacramento, a ride out to a an urban farm uh, out on the American River. We went to, uh, as you mentioned, some craft breweries. We have kind of a booming craft brewery scene right now. And uh, all, all along I was um, kind of asking myself, why are we doing this? This doesn't feel like advocacy the way I'm used to it. And then the light went on, and it was really interesting. Um, you know, the goal of all of this work is to get more people on bicycles, but we advocates tend to choose the indirect route by testifying before the city council and meeting with developers. And it occurred to me what we could be doing is just getting Or the state legislature. <laughs> or the Which you're very good at, I know. Uh, but instead, we just decided to put people on bicycles. And so we had these really pleasant uh, events. We saw a higher proportion of women on these rides than you would have predicted. You saw about um, 40%, you said. I yeah, think. 40 to 50%, yeah. depending on the ride. And, and without fail... Uh, at least a couple of people on the ride would say something like, um, wow, I never knew I could ride this far, or um, I'd never been in this part of town on a bicycle, and that's fantastic, or um, I love riding with a group, and I've never done it before, and I really want to do this again. Um, There's always someone who has this um, aha moment, and it's really great to see that because people are learning their communities you know, they're learning their neighborhoods or they're learning their community in a new way. And Charlie, hasn't that, that's been exactly echoed in your three-hour tour of London. It's really, it's, it, Jim, I think you probably agree. It's, it's, it's a real treat uh, as a veteran cyclist to watch people reconnect with their youth by getting back out on a bike, isn't it? And then when they, when they learn that they can use their bike for short errands around town and so forth, they see their neighborhoods differently. They see their um, they see their relationships with local businesses differently. They really and they and they're shocked by that. They're surprised that a humble activity such as getting on a bike uh, can have such a big impact that, uh, that they never anticipated before. You notice that? I absolutely. And what's so interesting about that is that that all. Um occurs to them organically. Mm-hmm. I don't have to say anything. Mm-hmm. I, all I have to say is, um, welcome, I'm glad you're here, this is who we are, this is, you know, we're, we're hosting these rides to introduce everybody to one another and to explore our community in a different way, and we uh, want everybody to have fun. And that's really the essence of the, um, any of the framing that I do. Uh, yeah. and, and, and people, people simply get it. You know, we had one couple who, uh, pulled me aside at a, a, a ride to a local craft brewery and they said, you know, we love to ride our bikes and we've never been able to figure out how to get to this particular brewery. And it's in a kind of an out of the way location. And they said, um, this is so exciting to get to ride our bikes to this particular place, and we're going to be back, and we're going to be riding our bikes more. Yeah, that's you know, I, yeah. It's it's amazing what you. It's so the experience is so wonderful. You can see your neighborhoods. You can see people's gardens. You can smell the flowers. You can enjoy well, you see new scene. architecture you hadn't seen before. Exactly. When you drive by it, you don't. It's a whole different experience of of your neighborhood, of your city, of your of your place. So, uh, Jim, you guys have going on right now Sacramento Fashion Week, and so I want to I want to talk a little bit about a very special young woman who you introduced me to, 
Carice Hill. And uh, we, we, uh, we're creating a supermodel here between the two of us, I think. We had uh, you introduced us. You said this is a special young woman that works for you there. Uh, tell us about her position with you at at Saba. She's the uh, support services coordinator, so she handles um, some of the bookkeeping activities, database management activities. She does some uh, fundraising activities for us, and um, she is a um, she is is a an untapped wealth of promotional strength that's uh, been really terrific to get to see her talents and um, and a terrific writer we found out that she's a very very good writer and so we're very that's excited right. she, she's really uh, she's really a, a terrific asset for us and she has begun in the past oh I'd say six months or so uh, working with a photographer and several other women uh, doing uh fashion photography and she's, uh, she's I think it's good. more recent than that because I think actually we we started the trend because she came to the California by bike summit she started writing a blog for us called movement is crucial for go. her because she she deals with a very painful and rare type of arthritis which is, is very tough but movement is crucial for her and so because she was writing for pet 11 knew that we were into the cycle chic movement she wore this fabulous ensemble to the summit and we were kind of having a powwow and talking about things. And I looked over, and Alan Crawford, uh, our wonderful photographer, was laying on the floor saying, I don't know who this girl is, but she's fabulous. And I, the light on her face. And I said, well, she's one of our writers. You need to go out and take some pictures of her. So we got some great photos of her. And I think that sort of sparked her imagination. And she decided she was going to audition for a Sacramento Fashion Week. And, yep. and so we would have her on the show tonight, but I think she might be on the catwalk right now. And, I think she is. Yeah, she's every night she's got something going. She has and she's one of their most popular. So she was originally going to do one show, then it was two and I'm not sure how many we're going to find out by the end of the week. She's also been on television now uh up there. And so this is a part of with active living plugged in. We like to find champions. We like to fi- we like to groom new ambassadors and spokespeople and I thank you for that. Uh, introduction. So we're going to kind of segue a little bit now into mindfulness because we, when our, when we're on our rides, uh, we see our cities in new ways. And I know mindful. It's kind of the, the, you know more about this officially than the rest of us do. But it's kind of one of those hot catch catchwords right now that people are using. Um, you don't have to be in a particular spiritual realm or following in order to use it. But it's a great. Uh, it's a great word to talk about the importance of being here now, which you can do on a bike. And Nick, you want to po- you you kind of brightened up when I I said, hey, I wanted to talk about mindfulness. And so, you want to give us a little bit of your background in, in that in that way of thinking? Well, I, I just almost took a course in mindfulness recently, and I never actually got around to it. But I so now, you, but now you will. <laughs> now I will for sure. I guess I would have been a student of mindfulness for the past 14 years. Um, I wouldn't call myself officially a Buddhist, but but very, very um, interested in, in the work of the Dalai Lama. And then you and I met, Jim, and, and you are a practicing Buddhist, and as are many people in bicycling. So tell us a little bit about your background with that. Well, I've been, I've been interested in, in Buddhist teachings and Buddhist practices for... Um, gosh, it's been about 12 years now, and um, as I uh, 
as I became more involved with bike advocacy, I suddenly started noticing that I was having experiences on my bicycle that I uh, would either have heard a teacher talk about or that I had experienced while practicing silent sitting meditation. You know, mindfulness is simply uh, the the uh, careful cultivation of the capacity to pay attention. And, and we have to do that when we're on a bike or we're going to get in well, trouble. And see, see, bicycling is just such a terrific support for mindfulness because um, we all know that if you don't pay attention, you're going to hit something or fall over. And so there's something about the activity that naturally reinforces a presence that we don't experience in a car where we've got all these distractions and if the windows are up and they're tinted, uh, we're actually in a little pod cut off from our environment. But when we're on a bicycle, we are we are part of the environment. Yes. And we are constantly responding to all of the sensory inputs that are coming our way, and some of them are pleasant and some of them are unpleasant. Uh, but that's really the stuff of, of meditation is learning to pay attention to all of that and not uh, react, uh, react um, unconsciously to any of it, but rather to consider it and, and respond appropriately. Um, and, of course, bicycling offers all kinds of opportunities for that, whether it's the pavement condition or it's the friends you're riding with or it's the... New friends uh, you can make on the street by being pleasant and saying hello? Yep, new friends you can make on the street um, or the, uh, the poor suffering driver who's frustrated by their driving experience who expresses that your direction. <laughs> um, <laughs> we all know that one. That's right. And so so bicycling simply reinforces the state of mindfulness. And of course there's a lot of 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 contentment that can come out of that because we can um you know, we're we're passing through space and we're experiencing all of these uh sensory moments of sounds and sights and, and color and light and and sensations and and smells and and it's a really rich experience if we're willing to be there for it. And that's uh, it's almost unavoidable on a bicycle. And that's really why we, we invite people to come out and, and go for a ride, because we know that they are going to have an experience that we can, we can describe it. We can make take great photos of it, but they really have to experience it themselves. Well, and and the reason that this is, this is important as a an aspect of bike advocacy is that it is um, it's the thing that helps us care about each other, um, care about our communities, pay attention to our communities. People see things, you know, and Charlie mentioned this earlier. People see things that they um, on a bicycle that they wouldn't notice when uh, riding in a car, for example, and and that noticing starts to change. Uh, how we um, how we choose to live in the world, and, well, and, so and it humanizes everybody again. Because, like you said, we we're, when we're in our cars, we're in a pod, and you know what, Jim? Yeah. It also it also works a different way, and that is small business owners when they see bicyclists showing up and shopping, shopping, they start seeing cyclists as customers as opposed to the other or something else. Absolutely. And so when, you know, we've done bike-friendly business districts, I like to call them BFDs, mm-hmm. 
And when we put a bike rack in front of a bike, uh, a store, let's say a coffee shop or any retail store, and people start using it, and they they notice that there's rock star parking in front of where they're trying to go, and they recognize that that's maybe a smarter way to get to that store than paying a dollar an hour or two bucks an hour to park there, and and in fact the hassle of trying to find that parking space to begin with. Uh, when they show up by bike, it, it sends a message to every business owner along that route that bicyclists have, are one, our neighbors, and two, uh, have disposable income in there, and they're our customers. That has been the most persuasive thing that I have seen to move uh, business owners away from thinking that every customer shows up by car, and therefore car parking is the most uh, important thing on their agenda. You so, notice that differently in Sacramento? Oh, I, uh, I don't notice it differently. I mean, I notice it differently in different neighborhoods. So, for example, uh, the Midtown neighborhood um, of Sacramento, which is sort of mm-hmm. you know, 10 blocks east of the state capital, that area, uh, is a much more uh, mixed-use neighborhood, yes. uh, residential, commercial, mm-hmm. um, interesting shopping, lots of good places to eat, um, tree-lined streets, mm-hmm. um, much more bike-friendly. Mm-hmm. We have a, a mode share in bicycling down in, in that part of the city that, in some parts of that city that, some parts of that neighborhood that compare to parts of Davis. Yes, I can Very see that. Very high mode share in, in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And then you go you go 15 blocks west to the downtown neighborhood where this NBA arena is, and there aren't any bike facilities, and there are very few of those destinations. And the result is that you don't have a whole lot of bike action right now. Yeah. And, and as a result, the business owners don't value bicycles. They don't mm-hmm. value people who are riding by bicycle. They mm-hmm. don't see them as customers. They see them as one form of, of you know, street user that they have to deal with occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, but it's, I can clearly see a difference in the... Um, in the perspective of of business owners in different parts of the of the of the city, based on um, the number of people who are riding there or through there or to there by bicycle. Right. So we actually, Charlie, you uh, initiated or you created the original bike friendly business district uh, program for Bike Long Beach, mm-hmm. and that's an idea that has been taken around the country now. And uh, Los Angeles will have their first bike friendly business district coming up. But one of the things that was fascinating to me that I experienced in person prior to getting into bike advocacy and then uh, Charlie confirmed was that the speed of the street um, in commercial districts is going to indicate how healthy that retail is. And that's a story that people don't really understand that well yet. And so they'll be against uh, slowing the street down because they they don't want to mess with people's commute, but they don't recognize when they're they're talking about speeds of street. It might be between their business thriving and not because the cars can't stop. I mean, I well, literally have been in, in uh, had customers that uh, were clients of mine before I was in bike advocacy that had businesses in, in an area of Long Beach that was just south or actually just east of our Belmont Shore, which is the big successful area. Then you cross the you cross the the little inland there, the inlet there. And you go from very slow traffic because it's been slowed down through uh, 12 traffic signals so people can walk and shop and have a good time. And then you go over the little bridge and people gun it like they're on the freeway. Two different businesses I I, uh, 
collaborated with and consulted with. One, people would tell me that they hadn't stopped by this place and they'd been thinking about it for 15 years. The other for 30. It was mm-hmm. a 75-year-old business. And I was shocked. Um, but I was prepped then when uh, Charlie came to town and, and taught me that what is when, when car speed traffic is over well, a certain speed, people will not sit comfortably outside and dine. Basically, it's 20 miles per hour. If if the effective speed of motors moving through a place is more like a parking lot than it is a high-speed thoroughfare, more people are likely to stop, feel comfortable stopping and making a parallel parking maneuver or uh, wait for pedestrians to clear a, a right turn. Um, and so and the inverse is true. When car speeds pick up more than 20 miles per hour, particularly when they get up to around 40 miles per hour, Customers don't feel comfortable stopping in parallel parking. They uh, the streets are loud. The and people and don't want to even ha- let their children walk on those streets they don't under want, a certain age. Well, and no one wants to sit adjacent to that right. and try to carry on a meal on a sidewalk or a conversation. And so, consequently, yeah, when I when uh, in in the business of creating bike friendly business districts, uh, we show them. And many of the successful districts already f- have figured this out, that a high-speed thoroughfare is no place to get business done. And you got to manage traffic both coming to your destination and inside the destination, or uh, it will be an unpleasant experience and people will drive someplace And this else. might seem a strange conversation from mindfulness, but for me it is mindfulness that we bring the conversation back. And you and I have talked about this, Jim, and maybe you want to go into a little bit more, that everybody matters. And we shouldn't be more valuable because we're behind a car, or behind the wheel of a car, and then when we step out and we're a pedestrian again, uh, you know, we, we so, we, we've lost value. And I think that we're starting to have people across the country, and especially here in California, take up that conversation more. Have you seen that shift with the uh, political people up there in Sacramento as well, or is it still uh, mostly in advocacy? I think that's probably still in advocacy, but I think when you can get a public official out on a bicycle, out into a neighborhood, and they have the direct experience of being on a bicycle and relating to other people um, in the course of riding, um, they start to recognize that these are these are our constituents, these are our neighbors and friends, and um, that makes a big difference. I mean, one of the uh, one of the interesting things about being in Sacramento is that 100% of the legislators live here at least most of the time, and so uh, you you tend to run into them or see them, you know, at restaurants and shopping, at the gym, at the farmers market, um, and. And and so, you know, the 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 uh, what matters to me is that is that Sacramento is a bike friendly place, so that they can all uh, be exposed to this experience. Um, because the, you know they're gonna they're gonna go back to their districts um, on the weekends, and some of these ideas are gonna uh, follow them, and they're gonna start to look at their own home community differently as well. Well, we're seeing it now. I mean, the people that have contacted Charlie, its, uh, it's sometimes it's surprising places. The places that want to take a lead on this, are, it, it's inspirational because sometimes it's places you would have never thought of. Well, and we know that the, that the early adopters have an impact on others. Uh, we had a, an event Saturday in Long Beach, and a state senator from San Diego had showed up. And he was um, – Ben Wazo is his name, state senator from southern uh, San Diego County. 
And he was commenting about how um, the conversation had matured in Long Beach and it was ahead of his community, but he wanted to see that kind of evolution occur where he is, too. He's a Hispanic uh, uh, Democratic state senator and very much understands the uh, role of bicycle for uh, uh, low-income people as basic transportation. And he could see where uh, he, uh, he, as a legislator, hadn't really put together the uh, the bike as a low-income transportation tool as opposed to a uh, a, a toy for uh, adult men. Well, and, and when we're talking about mindfulness, we also will be talking more about this in the future because we're just about ready to wrap up this segment, but we will be talking about health. And um, we have in this country a sedentary disease pandemic. We've talked about this, Jim, you and I. We've got diabetes, obesity, which was... Uh, officially named a disease uh, at the end of last year. So diabetes, obesity, heart disease, which is still the number one killer of women as a disease, and colon and breast cancers. So it's not just that we want everybody to matter from a traffic point of view, whether they're walking across the street or riding a bike, but that the bike and walking are two of the only ways that we can tie in active, healthy living every day doing our errands. And so... This is going to help save people's lives, and it's a way to do it and have a good time when you're at it. Um, and and it's uh, so crucial for us to inspire people to give it a try. That's so, totally right. yeah, do you want to wrap up a little bit, Jim? And I want everybody to um, I want you to tell uh, everybody their website and how they can get in touch with you if they have questions. Oh well, thanks. Um, this has been great to have this conversation. I mean, I. I uh, uh, I always jump at the chance to to talk about all of these kinds of benefits because, um, you know, as as Charlie pointed out, uh, we tend to think of bicycling either as a uh, either as a strictly as a recreational activity that's reserved for certain people, um, or in my case, I see uh, a lot of people treat it as sort of uh, poor man's transportation, and that is not. Uh, the complete picture at all. Um, bicycling has a great many benefits for really all quarters of society, and and uh, uh, it, it it's what makes it the the transformative tool that it it can be. Um, folks can learn more about what we're up to in Sacramento by visiting us at sacbike.org. That's our website. There are links there to our Facebook page. We have a lot of activity on our Facebook page. We are uh, pretty involved with social media up here. Um, and you have a beautiful and, website. Oh, thank beautiful you Beautiful so website. Thank you so much. So, uh, Jim, we'll be talking with you in the future again. Thank you so much for being a gu- so. our guest here tonight. And uh, Yeah, absolutely. Great to hear you, Jim. Absolutely. Thank you, Charlie. So, Tonight we're very excited because we have two young ladies that are going to be in the studio with us to have the second formal Women Talk Bikes segment, and they spearheaded this, Maria Sippen and Daniela Alcido, who you heard from earlier in the show, and they're the new generation of leaders that are in bike advocacy, in active living advocacy, and I have the great pleasure of knowing them both. They will be a part of the Active Living Plugged-In Training. So if you want to meet these young ladies and be a part of this dynamic training with us, we encourage you to go to pedallove.org and sign up for the training. If you sign up 
by this Monday, that's March 3rd, you will save $50 on the fee. It's, again, an intensive day-and-a-half training. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to do a lot of collaborative uh, exercises that are going to hone your skills and help you become the leaders. One of the things, Melissa, that one of the techniques we're going to use is the TED Talk model. Exactly. Of five-minute presentations that are uh, emotionally based and persuasive. Uh, I'm very excited about using this technique because it, it, it requires people to discipline themselves and to focus on the most important uh, part of their, what they're saying. It, it, it requires a, in five minutes, it requires a distillation of a lot of thinking down to what the most important stuff is. And so I'm, uh, I'm thrilled to be able to, be a, to teach people that technique because it's so powerful in short attention span America today. Exactly. Now, so this is a cross, a little different than how advocates uh, and professionals in, in biking and walking advocacy do work. We can tend to get a little wonky. And so what we're asking people is to share an emotionally engaging story along with their passion. So we're trying, we're going to find out what, what makes you tick. Why do you want to do this? Because your story is going to inspire somebody else to do this as changing hearts and minds and creating a culture shift. And you had a hands-on experience with this because you did a local TEDx and mm-hmm. had to do an eight-minute talk and found out how how valuable that was. Yeah. So you want to share a little bit about that? Well, as you're familiar, the, the, the TED talk is ideas worth sharing. And I saw that as a tremendous opportunity at a TEDx SoCal about uh, three years ago to – um, do some deep thinking about um, how cities use personality of place to go about uh, uh, marketing themselves, and so that's you know some people some some of these communities have charisma, and so my whole talk was about how charisma is used by communities to um, uh, compete in, on an academic level or on a uh, economic development level. And um, it was exciting. It was a, it was an amazing experience. I, as you may remember, our, my original talk was 20 minutes and needed to be distilled down to eight. Uh, and it was uh, I I did that and I learned the power of focus, the power of distillation, and uh, that's what we're going to be teaching in this uh, Active Living Plugged In on March 16 and 17 in downtown Los Angeles. Yes, I've had a background as a Toastmaster, which is great to learn public speaking, but I have fallen in love with TED.com mm-hmm. and send everybody my favorite uh, speakers. And so I've been inspired by the work of Brene Brown, who has written Daring Greatly, and she has two, one speaking about shame and one speaking about vulnerability, and these have gone into like the four million plus views mm-hmm. that we're talking about. And then uh, we also really like... Simon Sinek. So we're going to be going over the work of these people uh, as inspiration for the work that we're doing because Simon's why ask why, why, why how great leaders lead, mm-hmm. which is they, they focus on the why, not the what they do, but the why they do. And it was fantastic because he used the examples of Martin Luther King Jr. And then he used the Wright brothers, who most of us may not remember, but they owned a bike shop. So it was the it was the uh, money from the bike shop that actually allowed them to become the creators of the, of the modern airplane, which yeah. is pretty fascinating. But he really goes into that it's not always the person that you think is going to succeed as the great leader, and that really any of us who decide that we want to have these skills 
can become that that person that inspires millions of other people and that's what we really need to be doing and so that's why i'm really excited to be with uh, here in studio with maria and daniela because they're the next generation and when they did their wonderful women talk bikes show a couple weeks ago we didn't get to know maria and daniela very well so that's what we're here tonight is to delve in a little bit into their background and their passions what they're dealing with what they're faced with why they love this work, and what are their hopes for the future. So, Maria and uh, Daniela, are you with us now? Are we? Yeah, we are. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> Hi. Fantastic. So thank you again for starting this, for spearheading this uh, conversation that we're with tonight. People have been following us on the hashtag Women Talk Bikes. We've received some great uh, questions that uh, we'll be going into, and you guys will be going into in future episodes, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. But tonight, I I want to know more about how Maria and Daniela got into bike advocacy. I know about Maria. Maria gave us a little bit of her overview. But I guess what I want to know is why, from each of you, I want to know why is this so important? Is there a personal story <laughs> behind this act of living and bike advocacy that you're so passionate about? Well, this is Daniela. Um, before I answer your question, um, Melissa, I just wanted to give a clear um, a, like, an introduction of what the show or the intention of the show is. Perfect. For, so the Women Talk Bikes, well, the hashtag Women Talk Bikes, uh, we, I thought or designed this show for it to be an interactive to show for everybody through social media. And Excellent. our intention is that every month is a different theme, different topics, and most importantly, different guests. So we have people on that get to explain their side of the story or whatever the topic is or whatever the issue is. And it's mostly they that person, just these women have a medium through this show to create and to uh, express what they're, what they're into in the biking world. So... And we want people to get involved using this hashtag Women Talk Bikes so other people can ask questions or even them they, themselves can be part of the conversation. So they can they can follow Women Talk Bikes either on Facebook or Twitter, whichever they prefer, or both, correct? Uh, you know, yeah, I'm not 100% savvy on the Facebook, but if you use that hashtag Women Talk Bikes, that's where we would like our future listeners to get involved. So when a certain topic for the upcoming months is announced with the special host or the special guest, people can ask the guest those type of questions with that hashtag. So let's say the guest is about, is a, uh, knows really well about biking and traveling. So then they can, these individuals can ask our guest questions with that hashtag. And it happens, every, it changes every month, or that's the intention is that Different topics get explored, and that this is a Perfect. this is a show for everybody. So, so, uh, <laughs> so rumor has it, and Nick, you, maybe you can give us a little update. Rumor has it that KPFK was pretty excited about the social media buzz from the hashtag yeah. of Women Talk Bike. So, it was a good design from Maria, I think. That got really people excited with every individual yeah, women, yeah. all the girls that Gorgeous had it, photos. Yeah, good photos of the girls on their bikes, and then that, it the was bike just style a, of person side of me is is thrilled with yeah. all, that everybody has great photos. And so, <laughs> will there be a, an April live Women Talk Bike? You know, show? I think that's still in the works with okay. KPFK, so we can't say anything sure. for now. But but we can um, ask everybody to keep their good thoughts. Yeah, well, and that, and continue following us with that hashtag Women Talk Bikes, so they know what's and coming telling up us in what's important to you. Yes. Yeah. And then that way we, it helps plan future shows. And Perfect. maybe even one Twitter user can then be the special guest they on the show. They could be. They yeah. could be. And I have to tell you that on Petalove, 
since we've been doing the Women Talk Bikes a hashtag, we have gotten so many more followers. Yeah, awesome. So it's very, very <laughs> exciting. Yes. So, so yeah, so... I'm going to have to change my Twitter profile to say this. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> First, you got to add a photo, right? Yeah, then I got to add my picture. I don't have a, my, my picture. Right, as your, me, as your media <laughs> consultant. Yeah. <laughs> your uh, your uh, assignment is. <laughs> yeah, put a picture of myself. Exactly. I'll, I'll work on it, guys. <laughs> Perfect. So so we want to know a little bit more about, like, why are you so passionate about this, Danielle? What is it? Um, there's something going on from your family background? No. What, what is this about? <laughs> well, what got me into this, and I kind of explained it during the show we did in February, was I got into cycling when I went to UC Davis, and it mostly was because it was, uh, and I mean, not like it's trendy, but I wanted to be green, and everybody was doing it, and especially at UC Davis, it's so easy to get involved. So, And I, what a beautiful place to bike. Yeah, so then that's where I got involved in biking, but then when I moved down here, uh, the environment's different. So then... I got into doing bike rides, and I had my bike, and I did Midnight Riders and Critical Mass, and and then I, I kind of stopped until I went back to uh, graduate school at UC Irvine, and then I kind of started exploring. I started learning more about my urban environment, um, and then after that, I got an internship with the Los Angeles County Bicycle Coalition, which is great. I loved it, and I still am w- involved with them, but now yeah. I do their regional chapters, and what got me really into advocacy is even though I was here in Los Angeles and hearing about this great stuff, I live in an area that's very far away from here. It's east. Right. I live in Covina, but right. um, it's east San Gabriel Valley, and it's mostly in the Pomona Valley area, and there was just nothing being done. There was not a lot of, like, everybody knew what LACBC was, those who were cyclists, but there wasn't anything happening. And so that's when I got into doing the regional chapters. And little by little, I just got stuck. Well, not stuck. I love it. But I just got into it. Great. And then it just stuck with me. The, and so how many people do you have involved now in your chapter? Um, as far, I mean, we have a lot of likes, like a couple of like 400 or 500 likes on Facebook. Fantastic. But as for members that are part of our regional chapter, um, paying members, it's like less than 40. So but you know, you've just started. And we started two years ago, yeah, but it's, it's very a different young. community too. Yeah, exactly. It's different than downtown Los Angeles or Long Beach or it's a very suburban um, as well as it's a little downtowny with the with the Pomona, but it's a different community too, different politics, right. not a small town. But I think that's what got me into it is that uh, nothing was being done where I was living and I wanted something to get done. And well, we are, very <laughs> proud of, we are very proud of you for taking that And on. I'm a believer in, like, if you want something to get done, you just got to do it yourself. So. Excellent. And I meet, I've met so many great people through it that I'm just, I, I don't think I'll ever leave. <laughs> That's what we like to hear because we need more of you. Uh-huh. We need more of you. So, um, Maria, you shared a little bit with us in the beginning, but um, from, a, from a health angle, because you're a, you're a passionate health advocate in the, in the work that you do. Uh, why is this such a an issue for you? Why is this such a passion? I'm I'm just sitting here trying to think about how this all began, and I'm tracing it back to even before I I owned a bike as an adult. I'm thinking back now that this all kind of began when I was a student at Cal Poly Pomona, and I was organizing hip hop shows and organizing these little events for the community where young people could learn how to DJ and break dance, for example. And dance is totally active living. 
Of course, one absolutely. One of my favorite aspects of active living, absolutely. Yeah, and I was really, really in touch with the community at that time. And I think that kind of community participation is important to me, as well as getting youth involved in things that they love and things that they enjoy. So I think that relates to biking in a lot of ways. And even now, I'm I'm a little bit in denial about being a bike advocate. I think, <laughs> I think I'm just really just a... <laughs> A young woman who likes to bike and someone who just... Because the word advocate doesn't always go over with some <laughs> people well, does it? No, and I I also think, like, what does it mean and how do I know I've become an advocate? Because really, you know, it all, it all started with being on Twitter even and just, you know, finding out, like, this opportunity to be part of a bike photo shoot. In a photo shoot in Long Beach, in Long Beach right? <laughs> and I tweeted back. I'm like, "Hey, I have a bike. I want to do a ride. I don't mind getting my photo taken. Let's let's go. Let's That's do this." Good. That was great. <laughs> I still love that photo. Thank you. I know how I found out. You know how I found out that I was an advocate? No, when, please tell me. When someone said, "Oh, you're not getting paid to tell you what you're thinking," and I'm like, "There oh, you go. Okay. Yes. Yeah, because <laughs> I this is me that really wants to get this done, and no one's giving me money for this, so I'm an right. advocate." This is, yeah, except for many of us, that's the case. Yeah, that's so the case. I, I feel like maybe now I'm officially an advocate because I have 1,000 followers on Twitter, which someone mentioned that to me the other day. I'm like, oh, I guess, does that mean anything? I'm not really sure. But um, I just, I really just love telling people that I like to bike and take the train. And it all started with with me advocating for transit use and its collect connection to health. Right, the first and, mile, last mile. Right, and then somehow I found a way to integrate bicycling in that part of my commute, and it all just went together very well. So let's talk a little. Let's talk a little bit more, ladies, about the power of fun and fashion <laughs> to get more people riding bikes. Because uh, you you noted uh, that you were very involved with the community, Maria, and that you were putting together these hip hop shows, and I know you have a background in makeup. <laughs> uh, which helps a lot. You know, too. When much. you've got to be on these videos that I decide that you need to be a part of. Um, so, but really, it's important right now, and that's what, why why with Active Living plugged in, we're so interested in this media strategy. Why we're so interested in getting great photos because Instagram. I mean, that's so popular now. People want short, pithy little bits of information, and they want great photos. And. Uh, we know that uh, getting the story out to a broader audience. In fact, I met you, Maria, and uh, one of our other writers, Mishiko Yasuda, about, I think it was about a, um, a bit I did to Levi's because I wanted them to do a girl's pant. They weren't doing a girl's cycling pant. So it wasn't really through my bike advocacy uh, tweet stream that I met you. And I realized that's where the power is of connecting with young people, that they like bikes or they like the idea of the bikes, and that's how we're going to connect with them. But sometimes it's got to be a fun event. It's got to be a fun ride. And, Maria, you and your friends get together to go on f- these really interesting food rides that I always <laughs> wish I was a part of, like finding the best noodles and and different things like that. Talk a little bit about um, about how that's going in your life and, and what role that can play for other people that want to get their friends riding bikes. Right. So I, I would definitely want to go back to your question about I guess the use of image and how it it helps promote the work that we do. I, I think photos are powerful, 
if if I didn't, then I wouldn't be tweeting. I think I've tweeted maybe up to 700 photos already since I've been on Twitter. And you've mastered the art of the selfie while riding a bike, <laughs> which very and looking great at it at the same time. We're not we're not quite sure how you ma- you've managed to do that, but everybody needs to uh, they to need check to work out. on that exactly. Oh, it's man. a skill we're all going to try to catch up with. Yeah, I've I've had a lot of practice, but I, I definitely believe in sharing photos and images, and I I don't always think that great fashion or makeup is required. I no, think of course not. It's, I think it's, it's what you're really doing. Right. And I think it's about showing who you are and identity is extremely important. So I link that back to doing hip hop shows in college and, you know, people who were participating in these events really had a strong identity and they and they identified with a certain culture. And it, it had nothing to do about race or age, but it was right. all about, like, enjoying something they loved. And they all congregated around those things. And the same thing with bicycling. I think you do find people you enjoy riding with, people you identify with. And that's why I gravitated so much to to the Pomona Valley Bicycle Coalition when I started volunteering because I saw Daniela and I thought, like, hey, I I think she's somebody that I could hang out with, and she likes biking, um, and they go on a bunch of wonderful rides that in- incorporate food. Which is always important. Wonderful, yes. Yeah. I think that was the biggest draw is, is having that kind of hook. And for some people, it's it's not a food ride, but for many, it might be, and, and I'm one of those people. I think it has to be very Well, and we need, to, we need to touch base on a couple of things that it's not always about fashion, but it's about that you can wear your regular clothes. And, yes. and because so many people think that you have to have some special Lycra outfit <laughs> in order to ride a bike because we've so sold uh, bicycling as cycling as, as a sport since the late 70s. And uh, excuse me. Yeah, late 70s, maybe 1982. And um, so fun is really important to get people to understand and, and shorter rides that people can wrap their minds around if they haven't been on a bike in a long time. Absolutely. Uh, I I'm just kind of looking at Daniela laughing right now because in terms of Lycra and maybe the requirements for bicycling, we we were preparing for – well, she was asking me about her LCI <laughs> seminar, and we kind of looked at each other like, what are we supposed to wear to our LCI yeah. seminar? Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're getting certified to be bike safety instructors. Are we supposed to dress a certain way when, when we take this class? And, you know, so – she we didn't have a lot a of information bit. on that. We need the league to be a little. <laughs> yeah. We need the league to be a little more honest about what kind of boot camp. Right. That was one of the the Krista uh, leaders gave it that name afterwards because um, we raised money for ten women to become league certified instructors, and Maria, you were one of them. Yes. And it was the first time that I had ever organized anything like that, and it was really uh, they had no idea that it was going to be the first time it ever happened in the, the nation. Right. And that we started a trend, which was pretty exciting, but it, it's a boot camp, and um, and uh, they should have told you to bring plenty it of energy is. bars and a lot of food. And, and I would have to admit that I became an LCI like very early in my bicycling did. career. I, I probably just and had bravo. gotten on a bike, took traffic skills one hundred and one, and became an LCI thanks to that scholarship that made it all possible. But that was a big question for me when I I bought my first bike through Craigslist, as you could read on pedallove.org. Yes, um, that's a the great bike story. That, the bike that didn't fit and the woman with no instructions, but I still made it happen. Um, that was one of the biggest questions on my mind. Like, what What am I supposed to wear when I bike? I really thought, okay, sh- when I was a kid, my dad would take me to, to Big Five or, 
you know, some sporting goods store and, you know, he would get all my gear for me. But now as an adult, like I, I don't have that support and I could dress however I want, but I always had this assumption that I had to dress a certain way until I met people who bike every day and that, that wasn't a requirement. So absolutely style is important and right. wearing stuff you're comfortable in, it sends a very powerful message to people that, you know, you can, you can be whoever you want to be when you're on your bike. Well, and I've noticed uh, that the nicer I'm dressed on my bike, the nicer people are, are to me in cars. So <laughs> I wish I could say the same. <laughs> uh, so, but uh, you know, I'm riding around in Long Beach, and and we're we're pretty slow paced traffic wise compared to the rest of Los Angeles. So I yes. totally understand. But um, I think it's one of the things that we <laughs> wanted to do with that scholarship was make sure that the people that were going to become the certified instructors really wanted to teach and really wanted to reach out into their communities. And so that's I'm really proud of all of you that that did that because that's really. That's really happening. When and I started, well, yeah. sorry to interrupt, but I'm no, like, no, oh, I want to say in. something. Please. Go for it, Danielle. <laughs> like, when it. I started biking, I just wore whatever. I didn't know about wearing certain gears. I only learned afterwards, like, oh, I should probably wear. I didn't even get a helmet till two years ago. <laughs> so I I did not know. And yet what all you of need to all do. of Western <laughs> Europe seems to survive just fine. Yeah. Uh, without helmets. So <laughs> it's a, I know it's a contentious subject for many people, yes. but we've got to look at places that have a large number of people riding and, right. and what they're doing. And it's just, uh, as our dear friend Mikhail uh, uh, Colville-Anderson with the, the Cycle Chic movement, it's uh, about uh, the everyday cyclist, the everyday person who wants to ride a bike uh, to get uh, get going where they want to go and go and have some fun with their friends. So we had um, somebody who actually <laughs> write in on Twitter, which was great, which th- they are actually the, the founder of a bike company. Mm-hmm. And they were saying, even as a guy who founded a bike company he's not treated very well in stores and one of the reasons i think that women are buying not only to save money on craigslist but you don't have to deal with some dude who's going to try to talk you into a mountain bike if that's not what you want (laughs) and so that's still we're getting some really great bike shops female focused bike shops or at least female friendly bike shops but have you guys heard from your friends about how challenging it can be for women in bike shops you know what? Um, I, I want to reference. You have some funny stories. Actually, I right? do, but I want to reference yeah. some things that have popped up on our women on bikes, um, women talk bikes timeline. Oh, great! Um, that's similar to that, but breaking the limit. Asked why? Why do companies insist on col- the color pink for women's products? And are women even hired as designers? And those are that's just one of the question. questions that you know made me think about this issue a little bit and. You know, I think that's something we should continue to explore. And um, we know that uh, Specialized has uh, Specialized Women. We know that Giant has Live Giant. And I, I'm sure that we could have uh, representatives from those companies as your guests. So they and yeah, other companies. Yes, they would have about. they would have to answer to a lot of. They're, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. No, but yes. that's good. We yes. want them to be on the show and get on asked. And then we could questions. have Linus and Electra and Public, the uh, the the big lifestyle darlings of all right, the I hope, world. You know, I hope they all hear that they have some time to prepare. Why do companies insist on the color pink? <laughs> so you heard it right right here. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> well, I have that's a, a future show. I have a brand new Linus Duchy that I'm in love with that is cream color. So there's no pink. I don't think there's a pink Linus. Um, and I think that's a good question because actually a friend of mine who owns, uh, Nicole uh, Maltz, who's a, a partner with her, Evan uh, Whitener of the bicycle stand in Long Beach, uh, said the very same thing when she came back from Interbike. And why do they think they can just put pink on things and then that'll make it for women? 
And that's very strange. I wonder, do they even look at women's fashion about what, what women are into? Uh, what do no. you guys think? No? No. Speaking as a male I, and someone who's been around the bike industry uh, for two decades now, no. No. It's, a, it's a real male-oriented uh, culture, and they're doing their best. They're trying. But to answer your question, no, they're... They uh, they're afraid of women, <laughs> and uh, scary. are are in, in, uh, yes. are are doing their best, but they need they need an intervention. They need you to help. So uh, on that, so bike shops, great topic. Bike products, bikes themselves, bike sizes. That's one right. of the questions we've had come up because mm-hmm. the United States uh, most bikes are one size fits all for adult women. That can be a big challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the other topics that you guys discussed uh, in the last show that you want to make sure that you carry forward with? That anything um, uh, that you went home with and, and thought, "Wow, yeah, no, we really well, need to talk about this." Well, there's a lot of topics, and it'd be nice to to have the girls that were on the show have more one-on-one in the future segments coming up, so that way um, the listeners can get to know everybody really well. Um, but I think racing would be a good topic to talk about. I know that that's coming up really big right now, the Tour de France. Uh, yeah, and not, getting the support for women to to be seen. Yeah, and yeah. I, I'm not 100% on that. I don't follow racing. I don't follow that. But I know that it's, it's something that a lot of people do, and I myself want to learn more about it, and I would love to have people yeah. who are experts on that be and part we of know the show. We can, yeah, and we've, we've got them following us on Twitter, so we know yeah, that we can definitely more. connect. I know also what is that cyclocross is a, is a, a like an, another sport coming up in September. Well, not coming up. The seasons are almost over, actually. But I think when that season starts up again in September, that'll be fun to have those women on the show. Absolutely, and we know uh, we know that uh, women actually participate in higher numbers than that. Um, see, I didn't even know. Yeah, that. <laughs> so we've got some excellent connections of women that we can have on the show. Yes, we do. Awesome, uh, some future topics for the yeah. upcoming months. And so I have a couple things that I also saw on the timeline. This is Maria again. Um, the topic about microaggressions, which was fascinating to me because I, I've heard that word before, but it hadn't been directly applied to bicycling and what that means for us. Um, this was something that was brought up on the timeline, and I thought that it was, it was worth discussing or at least thinking about for, for now, even if you, you don't want to go into depth with it. Well, school me on this. What are we talking about with this? Sure. Well, Give me an example. Um, in general, I just, I just want to mention that um, I think – in, in the work that we do, sometimes we exert microaggressions, whether we intend to or not. Sometimes we do certain things. Like, for example, Echo in the City wrote a blog, which was titled The Cycling Community Can Do Better. And she cited um, that there was not enough representation and too many microaggressions. Um, examples such as showcasing only, quote-unquote, pretty people on bikes and Overrepresentation. We are. (laughs) We are by default. And overrepresentation (laughs) of some groups in bicycling. Um, For example, I guess maybe 
like Charlie has also mentioned, like you always see men or men of a certain age group who are overrepresented in bicycling, and maybe that's and all not the Viagra always, commercials. <laughs> maybe that's not always intended. Maybe that's how things have been. But really, we could change that now, and that's not an excuse anymore. That those those are just the way things have been. Right. Um, also. Yeah, just the discussion on microaggressions really gave me a lot to think about um, in addition to now just kind of being in this real situation of job <laughs> searching and seeing this requirement of having a car, a valid license and insurance to be eligible for a certain position, a.k.a. Reliable, AKA reliable transportation. Uh, I definitely see myself as a skilled employee or a skilled professional, but every time I see that at the bottom of a job posting, it's it's kind of discouraging, and I've, I've never really had to face this because this is the first time I've chosen to not have a car in my life, but um, this is just a new dilemma for me. So all of those things, it kind of... Should have someone from a human resource yeah. answering jobs. Well, that's really interesting. And, like, so, hey, and you're going to be able to you're going to be able to talk about this a little more in depth, Maria. That we are actually going to be on air the same day that everything's happening. Uh, but the the National Bike Summit happens yes. on beginning uh, the beginning of March, and it you're going to be on their media training panel. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so the National Bike Summit takes place March third to the fifth, but there's a special media training for bicycle advocates on Sunday. And I'll be sharing a panel with Ellie Blue, the author Clarence Eckerson from Street right. Films. Ellie Blue of Bikeonomics. Yes. And Adonia Lugo, who's the League Equity Initiative Manager. And so I'll be speaking as part of this panel and we'll be talking about um how we've become a force in the media ourselves. When you can't really wait around for the media to pay attention to you, how no, can you, can't. you create? How do you create this persona for yourself, an authentic one? And how do you um, get your message out in an organic way? Sometimes maybe not in an expensive corporate way, but how do you cultivate, you know, your own media prowess and power? Um, in and that's exactly way? right. And and because. Uh, because uh, media uh, firms, PR firms, are very expensive. And right. so that's why, with especially with uh, also with Active Living plugged in, we want to coach people on how to do that pitching. Yes, and I how will to be, be that there to yes, be coached. You will be there uh, because we, we've got some plans. We've got big plans of where we want to see uh, you and Daniela and our whole team yes. have their stories. Because So we, uh, to that point, you were, in, you were actually – in an article on Refinery29, but it wasn't quite the Refinery29 article that we dreamed of. <laughs> and so we're, we're hoping, right, that we have an opportunity have for the future because it was uh, a little bit psycholicious. Not psycholicious. It was a little bit guy-sporto. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, the article wanted to find out how do you start biking in the street when you, you know, you, you've come from spin class and you can't handle, you can handle spin class, but how do you transition to, to making biking part of your everyday life? Um, but it definitely focused on other things and I thought the image was the one that weakened the whole message because they, they used one that was more, geared toward racing, but that, that isn't like the everyday, um, bicycling, um, approach that people take so that most people take so, so we, I, I we decided that, right that there was room for opportunity absolutely. And so we're working we're working on that refinery 29 connection because we love yes. them we love their realness how they're everyday people we love how they show uh 
great places that people live in that aren't necessarily the super expensive, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and we're inspired by them. But yeah. we want it, we want them to pr- profile uh, exciting, dynamic young people like yourselves and your bikes. Um, not necessarily just uh, the lycra clad set. Right. And I, I think my whole message here is what I want to learn from Active Living Plugged In and from other people around me, people who tweet me, people who I meet at conferences, is I want to become a stronger advocate. You know, I'll take on that advocate role. I'm slowly trying to accept that, but I will take it on. And I want to get better at getting my message out because we need to challenge how people view women in advocacy as key players in advancing policy, as consumers and as athletes, if you will. So, you know, I want to help represent people who may not always have a voice to speak out um, about their concerns and issues they experience. So if I can channel their stories and help them share it or have that um, space and power to help them have their own platforms. I would be really excited to do that. So I'm, I'm just excited I'm, about the I'm show. Sure, I think yes, we can do I'm, that. I'm not sure how we would have to ask her to stay up until the middle of the night, or we'll figure out how to uh, how to tape at a different time. But I'm sure that we can have Carolyn Chapansky. Yes. The uh, director of the Women Bike Program, and we really encourage everybody to go to the BikeLeague.org. And look up the Women Bike Program. Uh, not all of us can go and be with them at the summit and the, the Women Bike Forum, but there's terrific information there, and you're going to learn about a lot of exciting people. And um, we'll have Carolyn come and talk with you guys about uh, what she's excited about, what we're doing with the, the Marketing and Media Committee, and uh, how we're strategizing to get the stories out in all kinds of media and all kinds of storytelling. So I think we need to, to wrap up. For this <laughs> evening, um, I want to thank everybody for putting together a great show tonight with us and for being here and for showing your leadership and your ideas. Nick, thank you for being here with us tonight. Thank and you. Um, we're going to have some more uh, in depth conversations. You were a good sport and let us do all the talking, but we're going to be talking to you more in depth about a couple of these things in the future. Great. Charlie, any last thoughts that you want to share with us tonight? No, I'm looking forward to this conversation, though, as we go into the future. And, and, um, the pedallove.org is, is the where, website. Is where it's all at. It's, yeah. We're a work in progress. We're getting better every day. We've got some great, great blogs, including Maria's. Um, I'm sure we will be having Daniela write for us very soon. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible writer, but I'll try my best. Well, we're going to have uh, pictures. <laughs> pictures, Daniela. Pictures can say a thousand words. So pedallove.org is yes. the website. If you want to write to me and ask us questions about Pedallove, Charlie, Maria, or any of us, you can write to me at Melissa, that's M-E-L-I-S-S-A, at pedallove.org, and I will get the these messages to everybody else. We want to thank Jim Brown of uh, Sacramento Area Bicycle Advocates for being with us tonight, and Janet LaFleur of Lady Fleur, One Woman, Many Bikes, and her Mountain View Voice blog. You can read more about all of these women at pedallove.org. Thank you, and we'll look forward to talking to you next month. Yep. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS feed link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group.